Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. Urban Frank Meyer III, born in Toledo, Ohio in 1964, grew up in the town of Ashtabula, Ohio. He was drafted by the Atlanta Braves as a shortstop to play baseball, and in fact did for two years out of high school in their minor league system. At that point, he attended the University of Cincinnati, where he played football. He coached one year of high school football after graduation, went on for 13 years as an assistant college coach, including stops at Ohio State and five years at Notre Dame, before getting his first head coaching job at Bowling Green State University in 2001. Two years later, was off to Utah. Three years later, the University of Florida, where he won his first two national championships. After a season in the TV booth at ESPN, Urban Meyer became head coach of the Ohio State University Buckeyes, where he would win a third national championship, one of only three coaches ever to win national championships at two different major universities. Today, he's a Fox Sports College football analyst and assistant athletics director at the Ohio State University. Urban Meyer, did I miss anything there? Tom, you're one of my favorite people. Great to hear your voice. And no, I think you got it all. Thanks. You know, you look at all those jobs, Coach. Um, so many stops, very different places, uh, from Bowling Green to South Bend to Gainesville to Utah, uh, Colorado State. As you look back now, it, it, is there any of those jobs it, it, that that you look back and say, man, that was just a lot of fun. I mean, I'm sure they all were fun and they had their challenges, but was there one where you just say, that was a really cool time in my life? They were all great. You're right. They all had inherent challenges uh, involved in each. However, the, the Utah job uh, was probably the most fun I ever had. It was still at the cutting edge of offense. I had Dan Mullen was my quarterback coach and we, diet, we we inherited, we did not recruit him. Alex Smith was some unrecruited player, the real skinny 6'4", 180-pound guy that uh, is it's well documented now, one of the toughest, most competitive human beings. But that was just, and I, I covered this on Fox, Tom, this is real interesting. You have great work ethic and low expectations. There, there's nothing greater than that. You know, the opposite is awful. That's when you have high expectations and a bad work ethic. That's called dysfunctional work environment. But we had the ultimate work environment. No expectations. Hadn't won a championship there in 60 or 70 years, a conference championship. Uh, I think we are picked last in the conference. And, and I mean, we go on a 22-2 run. And uh, by the time we – our last game – I'm not convinced that team wouldn't beat any team in America. So that was the most fun. If you just just going to work every day with, you know, everything was new. We were, you know, doing an offensive system that, quite honestly, was almost impossible to stop because people were so new to college football. You know, you you were traveling a lot, and a lot of coaches do this. I don't think a lot of people understand that. I mean, you were doing that even as recently as Ohio State, where you would go to other guys around the country, uh, whether they be college coaches or pro coaches, uh, offensive coordinators, uh, to to learn something maybe a little different, something uh, you know new. Back in those days, and, and at Bowling Green, you know, you engineered that incredible turnaround before you go to Utah. But, but was there a stop or a guy where you went and, you know, you start talking offense and the scheme and the spread and the, the read option and all these kinds of things where you said, 
man, this guy is really on his game. Yeah, the guy named Scott Linehan. He a very yep. successful NFL coach, uh, the Cowboys, and I know he was the head coach of the Rams uh, for a while. But he, he's a guy that I was very close with over the years. And, and I was at Notre Dame, and and I had a little bit of a taste of it at Colorado State before the one back system where you know I grew up in back in the seventies and eighties is I formation and two receivers, a fullback, and a tight end. That's what everybody did. And when he wanted to get real creative, he put in two tight ends. And um, then I started learning about this one back, and I would sit. I remember I'd sit at home and just doodle on a piece of paper and say, "You know, what, what, what would this look like?" And then Dan Mullen was my GA, ironically, uh, who's now the head coach of sure. Florida. We get in a car and we drive from South Bend to Louisville. You know, about five hours down the street there, and and uh, we're going to go for a day. And I told people the story that Dan and I stayed several days. I had to go buy clothes and buy a toothbrush because. <laughs> I couldn't leave. I, I was so enamored uh, by this style of offense that it's something I kind of dreamed about, but I didn't understand. And Scott Linehan was so open that he shared. And that day was the beginning of the spread offense. Dan Mullen and I, from that point forward, we just, you know, I, I made a decision. I was going to hire Dan as my quarterback coach and eventually coordinator. And we were going to do something that's really never been done. And that became a laboratory after that. Could that offense coach work in the pro game? It's working, of course. Yeah, it's uh, they're, they're, you know, I mean, the, the wear and tear in a quarterback is the same thing that I hear all the time, and I agree with that. That's something you have to be so cautious, especially uh, franchise players. But uh, it's every, I don't want to say every, majority of NFL offenses, because I've been studying them. I've been watching a lot of uh, film, and there's elements of the spread offense all over the NFL now. And I, I remember when it, you know, will that offense work in the SEC? I got asked that question, I don't know, probably a thousand times in 2005. Now guess what? Every offense in the SEC is spread. Because back then, in 05, it was, you know, it was all power, eye, and, you know, eye formation. And that'll never work in the SEC. And it did okay. And then <laughs> in the NFL, uh, certainly there's elements. You just have to be, you know, the you, you can't put your quarterback in harm's way. I read a story where you called, and I'm sure you've been asked about this a thousand times, when you're calling, looking for a job, you call the house of Nick Saban when he's at Toledo. Is that right? And you talk oh, to yeah. his wife and he never calls you back and, and he acknowledges a year later. Boy, I, I think I screwed that deal up. Yeah, I was at Illinois State University and uh, it was way before cell phones. And he, I'm from Toledo, Ohio. I was born there, and that's, it was the best job in the MAC conference. I remember Nick Saban got it. And I had a Big Ten background for my two years at Ohio State. And so out of the blue, I just said, I'm the, uh, someone gave me the home number. There were no cell phones back then. So I called, and Terry Saban picked it up. We still laugh about it when I see her to this day. And uh, we had a really good talk. And she said, you know, you, you sound, I'm going to make sure Coach gives you a call. And he never did. And we, we laughed about that over the years. <laughs> You once said, correct me if I'm wrong, that you know at one time in your life your dream job was Notre Dame. Is that because of your Catholic background, because you grew up you know, like a lot of us that are roughly the same age on Saturdays and Lindsey Nelson or on Sundays, and Lindsey Nelson is, is recapping the Notre Dame game from the day before? Why Notre Dame? I'm Irish. I'm Catholic. I'm from Ohio. Uh, Eric Parsegian was an idol. You know, I was one of those guys that really studied these successful coaches growing up from Osborne to Paterno to Era Parsegian. And, and, 
And when Lou Holtz gave me the call to go be an assistant there, that was almost, uh, you know, that's transformational. That was an out-of-body experience when I got that phone call. So, my gosh, I'm going to go coach at Notre Dame. And, and it was awesome. I loved it. It's To this day, I still tell people it's, it's the most purest form of college sports. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there's 75, about 7,500 students at Notre Dame. All 7,500 go to the games. It's so incredible. It's just an incredible place. And uh, I just loved it. I loved our time there. So, yeah, I think everybody at some point, if you're a football fan, you're Catholic, or at least you admire that kind of, you know, university and what it stands for, uh, love that place. How close were you, Coach Meyer, to taking that job back in 2005? Uh, as close as you can get. I mean, it was right there, and I've never prayed so hard in my life. And, and sitting there, and you know, I, I had a very small. You know, that's one thing that I see people make mistakes when they ask for too many opinions. You get a very diluted uh, mindset. You know, I didn't. I had a very small circle of people, and it came down to roster and recruiting. And you know, Shelley was really intrigued about going down south. And then that was back in the Spurrier. You know, he was there sure. a couple of years ago. I became a huge fan of Steve Spurrier. Uh, to this day, we're still great friends. And uh, Notre Dame was going through some tough times in recruiting. And I I just hit so hard to get momentum with people. You know, and Ron Zook was the coach at Porter, who's a very good recruiter, a uh, very good recruiter. So it came down to the opportunity to win. You know, uh, much has been made, and, and I don't know if it's true or not, and, and in no way, shape, or form is this a knock on Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly lived in my neighborhood when he was a coach of the University of Cincinnati, and I really like Brian a lot. I think he's a brilliant guy. I think he's an outstanding coach. I love his fire uh, and his passion. Some people might get turned off by it. I love it. Uh, um but, you know, uh, much has been made through the years, Coach, about, you know, Notre Dame and their their uh, academic requirements. Are they different than other people? Are there kids you can't get in school there that maybe you can get in school at some other places? I- is that a challenge? And I'm not asking you to comment on Brian Kelly because, I mean, heck, he's been to a, you know, college football playoff semifinal as recently as this year and a couple of years in a row now. But, but is that a greater challenge at Notre Dame than maybe some other places out there in college football? Is that a legitimate argument? It sure is, and, and I'm a big fan of Brian Kelly. I'm a friend of his. Uh, I think he's an exceptional coach. What shocked me is when uh, I was watching the game and they put on the, the ticker or whatever they talked about, they haven't won a major bowl game in like 27 years. I did not realize that because they've been to some – I coached against them in a bowl game, and they've had very good teams, but – they have not won a power a major bowl game in 27 years, and that's hard to imagine. Uh, here, here's the the issues. First of all, South Bend, Indiana is a small town. Uh, it's the weather is very difficult. We lived there for six years, so I know that firsthand. When you hear the words "lake effect," right. I mean, bat in the hatches, man. Mm-hmm. Um, Notre Dame, when me and you grew up, it was about you know it was the top of the food chain you know it was you know, everybody thought about Notre Dame you were you know in the 70s they won a national sure. title I think 60s 50s 60s 70s and 80s they won a national yep. title um and then it kind of the population started to move south and Notre Dame I don't want to say it lost its luster a little bit but it didn't it was a you know they had their own television network now everybody's on television so there are some inherent, it's still a great place. I refuse to believe that you can't 
it's one, you know, you can't take a swing at the whole thing. And he has, he's gotten to the BCS championship game and he got to the playoffs a couple of times, but they just have to, you know, I, I think there are some challenges. I think there's a little bit of perception about you can't get guys to school because it is that you can't take anyone, but a lot of schools are that way, you know, that you have to be cautious and, you know, high end academic schools, um, are, you know, there's limitations on who you can take. Ohio State's one. People say Ohio State can get anybody, and that's not true at all. You know, the average ACT at Ohio State is 30. Yeah. So Believe me, I'm finding it out firsthand, and I don't even have an athlete. But, I mean, I, I'm not so sure that in-state, Ohio State's not the hardest state university in the country to get into to this day. Yeah, that's uh, same with the, the, the Wolverines. It's a hard academic school, Wisconsin. And, I mean, at Florida, you know, people said anybody can get in Florida. That's, that's not true. You know, those are high, those are very good academic schools. Are they the same level of acceptance at Notre Dame? No, I think Notre Dame is probably a little bit higher, but you can get it done, Notre Dame. And I think Brian Kelly at one point, you know, uh, depends how long he stays, he's been at the altar. He's just got to take that next step. How was coaching since you brought up the two schools? It, is there a difference? And everybody says, all oh, these major power football schools, and, you know, you can rip off of 10, 15 of them. Um, I, I think after you get past 10 or 15, you're starting to really get into a stretch on whether they're true powerhouse program or not. But but Florida and Ohio State certainly are two of those, in large part thanks to, to you, Urban Meyer. Is there a difference coaching between those two schools, being at those two schools? I, I don't mean just the weather in Florida and Ohio, and, but I mean, is, is there a difference being the coach at Florida as opposed to Ohio State? Well, I think they're very similar. They're like I said, they're high high end uh, academic schools, uh, which is a really bonus in recruiting. Uh, they are the flagship of their state. The difference with Florida is you have two other people that you have to state with. Mike in Florida State, Ohio, you don't. I mean, Cincinnati's great, but very rarely do you lose a recruit to Cincinnati. Uh, they're the fans are out of their minds in both places, and I say that with great respect. Sure. They've lost sense of reality, um, but. The difference is the SEC is harder than the Big Ten. You know, um, I say that, and then Northwestern beats Auburn. You know, and so uh, I just think top to bottom in the SEC, it's a little more difficult. You have more, all you got to do is watch the combine and the NFL draft, and the SEC is by far have the best players in the, in the country. So every week it was, you know, uh, I remember one year we, you know, we had our schedule in country playing Tennessee, Georgia, LSU, Alabama, Auburn, all within five weeks. Wow. And your breather is like a South Carolina, and they were good. Sure. You know, where the Big Ten top to bottom is not the SEC. So that's the, most, the more difficult part. Do you see culturally, did you see, uh, Coach, and, and you know, the, the, the type of kid you're recruiting? And, look, I, I don't think that's fair for me to throw a blanket on every kid you recruit at Florida, every kid you recruit at Ohio State. But, but culturally, being the South as opposed to the Midwest, and, look, I know you recruited everywhere. I mean, at Ohio State, you turned that into your swooping guys out of Texas and California and Florida and all these different places, and you were nationally recruiting. But at the end of the day, most of the kids you recruited when you were at Florida were from Florida. And when you were at Ohio State, we're from Ohio. Um, could you see a cultural, socio-economic difference when you're going to recruit the kid to play at the University of Florida as opposed to Ohio State? Sure. I, uh, 
I, I lived, I'm one of the few coaches I lived in, you know, Bowling Green. And then I uh, coached at Notre Dame. I wasn't the head coach. And then at, out West, I was at Utah. And you have a different player, uh, West Coast player. And, and also Polynesian players were a big part of our uh, program. In the South, you know, you primarily hit your foot, your, stay your footprint, which is the state of Florida and Georgia. And then Ohio, you kind of, there's not enough, the quality is incredible, the quantity is not enough. So that's why we had to start hitting Texas and Florida and, you know, all the other states that we're hit, we hit and Coach Dave's hit now. So there is, I, I can't really, you know, go into detail what the cultural differences are, but sure, there, there's, there's things that are very important to, uh, people in their different parts of the country. You know, just the fact that you get some significant weather up north, you know, that, that eliminates a lot of people. Um, also distance from home. So there are, there are cultural differences. When you bring in Tim Tebow, and he's this decorated kid out of Jacksonville, Florida, homeschooled but played high school football, uh, did you ever envision that he would become Tim Tebow? I did not. I actually did not want to recruit him. You know, he's he's one of those guys who's so polarizing because I figured it out after a while. It's because he everything you see is true. He's that good of a person. He his his mission in life is to make someone else's day brighter, and that's I know that so much of that is hypocrisy and oh that can't be true or ninety percent of the time is true. This uh, this is one hundred percent of the time. And it forces you to look at yourself a little bit, and sometimes you don't like what you see. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw that within our locker room. I saw that, you know, Tim and I, Tim's like a son to this day. I'm on his foundation board, and I, I'm my breath's taken away every time I'm with him because, you know, whether it's anti-human trafficking or special needs kids, or I mean, that is his life. And at, at times you sit back and me and you've had actually conversations about this. Well, I, that point right. I mean, I got I mean, killed. I got, right. I got killed for years and years for the comment I made when I did your national championship game uh, by those in the cynical press. Uh, I, you know, I did both of your championship games when you were at Florida. But but the second one, when you beat out Oklahoma and I make the comment on the air, I think. That, that you're a better person, and I'll still stand by the statement. And I don't care who says anything about anything. And if I hear you right, you're basically confirming that. But when you get around Tim Tebow, there's something about you that becomes a little bit better. No, I'll, I'll help you a lot better. No, and, and someone has said that, you know, I'd like to go meet that person and say, you know, if someone's critical of that, I, seriously, give me their number and I'll, I'll take care of it. Because they have no idea what they're talking about. And... Unfortunately, we do live in the world of, you know, um, kind of vile now, to be honest with you. The social media and the, yep. you know, there, there's a lot of journalists that I don't even call journalists, people out there that they get paid. That's what they do. They, they you know, they just, you know, they completely try to destroy people. And uh, no, I, that's, you are a lot better when you're around Tim people. Was there one player you recruited anywhere along the line? Where I mean, you wanted this guy so bad, and and look, there's there's ten thousand of them you wanted really bad, but I mean, there's one guy, and you didn't get him. Oh yeah, two of them I, right off the top of my head: C.J. Spiller. I go three: Julio Jones, C.J. Spiller, and uh, 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 Deshaun Watson. No um, kidding. Yeah, I mean, I, I we went right to the dance. You know, Deshaun was pretty much tied up with Clemson. I had him start to think a little bit. C.J. Spiller's thirty five minutes from Gainesville. And we were, I mean, first of all, he's a wonderful guy. And uh, his mom's incredible. And I thought we had him. And on signing day, he picked up the Clemson hat. 
Imagine him on that team. That was a, no. I would have had him the whole no. 18. No, I can't imagine because I watched those teams win two national championships in three years, and I'm not sure anybody on the planet would have beaten. Well, well, I mean, they didn't. You guys won the national championship twice and, and just dominated everybody. We're back with Urban Meyer in a moment. Living with Change is a nonprofit organization supporting transgender youth and their families. Transgender youth face higher rates of violence, victimization, substance abuse, suicide risk, and homelessness, but have few resources to help deal with those issues. To combat those numbers and in partnership with Cincinnati's Children's Hospital, LWC created with Living with Change Center for Gender Health, serving more transgender patients and families than any other center in the Midwest. For more, please log on to livingwithchange.org. Since 1882, Children's Home of Northern Kentucky has been a lifeline for children and families in crisis. Now known as CHNK Behavioral Health, its team of doctors, nurses, and therapists impacts nearly 4,000 kids and families every year. An array of mental health services including counseling, addiction treatment, and psychiatric residential care. CHNK also continues to care for abused and neglected youth who are in the state's custody. Right now, CHNK Behavioral Health is offering a free 10-minute conversation with a clinical therapist to help families dealing with the increased pressures caused by the ongoing pandemic. Visit www.chnk.org for more details or for the free conversation with a therapist, call 1-844-YES-CHNK. Back with Coach Urban Meyer. Do you miss coaching? Oh, every day. I, I mean, there's part of you when you do it that long, you miss it. And certain things you miss, certain things I don't miss at all. But I certainly miss it. When you say coaching, I miss coaching. Uh, the problem is nowadays that coaching is not as, as prominent a part as it used to be. You're in the news Whenever a major college football job opens up, uh, or most recently an NFL job opens up, I- I'm not going to ask you if you're taking an NFL job. I'm not. You've got your life to live. You have people you have to talk to. You have decisions to make, and we're just not even going to go there. But I-, I-, I would like to ask you this: there, there has to have been points in time over the last number of years, and and, and you know whether it was during your days at Ohio State or, or subsequently the last couple of years at Fox Sports. Um, where you know you've had a chance to talk to guys that have made the move from the uh, college game to the pro game. Uh, What are the differences? You know, you just mentioned coaching in the college ranks. You know, we know all about recruiting in the pro ranks. The greatest challenges become whatever they are. What have you learned about the differences just between the two, theoretically or practically? Well, college is rich get richer. You know, when you're and, and NFL is made to be uh, eight and eight. You know, it's it's made that the the worst teams get the best players, and then it's supposed to equal out. Um, and it and it does. I mean, you, you see the greatest coach of all time, Bill Belichick, is a sixty some percent winning percentage. Where in college, you get you know, if you recruit really well, you know, maybe there'll be three four games a year that you have talent that's equated to you. So that's the number one difference is. And then the other thing, you're, you're coaching grown men. You know, you're not coaching the 17, 18, 19-year-olds. And a big part of the 17, 18, 19-year-olds is the development that goes on January, February, March, April. And that's gone. And you don't have that. 
you know, when the players are done in, in January, some teams are done, you don't see them again until mini camps. So OTAs and, and April. And to me, that's, um, I keep, how do you build that culture? How do you build that team when you're only with them so, so many, t- so much time? And I'm a big believer in culture. I'm a big believer in leadership and, and brotherhood and the things that I've always believed in. And I know most successful college coaches are. So it is different. Uh, and it's a job. Uh, Greg Shiano, a dear friend of mine, went to Tampa, and he believed in the same things, and that you teach the brotherhood, and then all of a sudden you have to cut a guy. Yeah. And the player comes in and says, what, what are you talking about? I thought we were a family coach. And So there's the reality is professional football is a business. Uh, you're entertainers, and you have to win. In college, you develop people. You get them when they're 17 years old. You hand them off to the real world when you're done. You're expected. I always took it very serious to try to do the best you can to make sure to prepare for the world and football, you know, the pros a little different than that. You know, physically coach, uh, you know, you have the heart situation when you were at Florida, uh, you have the, the, the brain situation, both at Florida and then Ohio state, you know, you, you shared with me one night, um, a, a story about standing on the sideline, uh, at Penn state where, you know, all of a sudden you can't see out of one eye. I mean, th- th- this is serious business. And, and again, in a cynical society, you know, I, I just get, I get worn down. I don't know if you do, but, you know, when people have challenges physically that are neighbors of ours, you know, or, or family, you know, you're 24-7 concerned about it. When you read about it, who's somebody uber successful and now they're walking away and they're getting out and, oh, we know he's going back. Uh, he's got to do it in your case, you know. I think sometimes you you don't take those issues as seriously. You do. Your family does. Whether or not you ever do decide to go back, if you did go back, you have to be very concerned about physically where you are, right? Well, it's something that, you know, Shelley, obviously you're a friend, and so you know the, how, the, how close our family is and how uh, much we care about each other, so I would. That that by far is the number one priority. It would have to be more at a higher level. It would not be, you know, screaming and yelling at practice and doing the things I did for so many years. So it's, it it would be something that I would have to first of all get the sign off uh, by people, and then make sure I manage it and and uh, be very uh, aware and prevent those situations the best I can. College football national championship game is this Monday night. The Ohio State Buckeyes take on number one Alabama. Before we talk about that game, were you surprised at the Buckeyes' just absolute domination, demolition, use whatever you want to use? I mean, that was a tail kicking that took place Ohio State and Clemson. Were you shocked? Uh, Not really because I know the players. I know the personnel, and I have so much uh... Uh, confidence in Coach Day. He was handpicked to be our head coach, and and that that team is loaded with NFL talent. Uh, the thing they just never got consistency and a chance to get better. You know, delays and 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 not being able to play disrupts your development as a team, and and that's really hard. I thought he's done a masterful job keeping that thing together with COVID and this and that, and then quite honestly, young players get motivated by so many things. You know. When, when the opposing coach says you're the 11th best team in the country, some people, it's, it's funny when some people say, well, that really had nothing to do with the game. Once again, you have never been in a locker room. Right. And, and you're right. It really had nothing. When the foot hits the ball, it's all about execution and playing with relentless effort. 
when it does matter is those three or four practices before when they're going kind of going through the dog days and they're tired, they're away from their families, you got COVID issues, and then all of a sudden someone says, you know, you're the eleventh best, you're behind mm-hmm. Coastal Carolina, three loss here, Iowa State, and I know Ryan Day and everybody just beat that to death, mm-hmm. and so it helped focus the preparation. I can promise you that. How is Ryan Day different than Urban Meyer? I actually think he's very similar. I think he's uh, he's a guy that's ironically, you know, he he went to the NFL and they got fired at two different jobs at, at uh, Eagles and then the 49ers. And when I made the decision, because I've known Ryan for a long time, and to say I knew he was this elite, I did not. I thought he was an excellent coach. I once spent time with him with the Eagles. And um, when I hired him, even Gene Smith, some people were – you know, that I'm close to, are you sure he's ready for this job? And I'm talking about just quarterback jobs. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I think he's, of course he's ready. I, I, I want to hire him. And I hired him and you could tell right away, this was the next level guy. And he believed Ohio State's a very, it's a monster of a place. It's gigantic. It's 55,000 students, but it's a national university, academic challenges, obviously the politics of a great university like that. And you better embrace the rivalry game. You better embrace it. Don't don't come in there and and he embraced everything that was built. You know the infrastructure that was built, not by you know I think I enhanced it, but Jim Trestles and the Coopers and the Earl Bruce and Woody Hayes. It's a very unique place, and he embraced it. You know a guy like that. You you walk into a place like that and you don't embrace it. You, you're 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 not going to last long. You know I'm I'm curious, Coach. Um... When you know so much is, I mean, the rumor mill never ends, and 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 it even affects Ryan Day because of his pro background, as you just mentioned. And you know, from the outside looking in, even from the inside looking in, I mean, from a guy who's been around sports and collegiate sports and pro sports his entire life, in me, right, in some form or fashion, whether it be with my family or whether it be then working for for the last thirty three years. You know, I look at a, a, a situation like Ryan Day's at Ohio State, and I know you can't speak for him, but I look at it and I say to myself, just like I looked at it when you were there, it's no different. Now, your situation was different because of the health issues, but, you know, good Lord willing, you're healthy, and I look at somebody like him or, or Nick Saban now at Alabama, obviously, or, um, you know, there are three or four other jobs that if you had long-term success um, – uh, without scandal or without something else, why would you ever leave? You know, why would a person ever leave Ohio State if the rich are getting richer, you're playing for a national championship every single year? I mean, is there an enticement about the pro game when you're in the college game that's always sort of lingering out there? Is that carrot? Yeah, I, I I think Nick Saban. That's one of the things. His consistency and longevity of makes him very unique. You know, I, I think the days of the long uh, tenured coaches are I don't want to say over, but they're you, it's not going to be. You won't see it very often. The wear and tear, and everybody. It's Ohio State's great. Florida's great, but the wear and tear. Once you start winning, and Lou Holtz used to say it best: building is all about passion, energy, excitement maintaining and sustaining is nothing about fatigue. It's, it's exhausting. And, you know, you go 13 and one and it's a major disappointment, you know, and that, that happened a couple of times. It happened to me. And to say that didn't bother me, that destroyed me knowing that, you know, we couldn't sell tickets to the sugar bowl one year when I was at Florida, we went 13 and one, won 24 straight games. 
and, and the, the players, the coaches, you're just destroyed. And then same thing in Ohio State, you go, you know, 13-1 and one and we win the Rose Bowl and, you know, maybe we'll get our next year, coach. And, and you're just like, my gosh, you know. Yeah. There's, there's other teams that have scholarship players too now. You know, they, they there's, you know, there's some teams that you play, Penn State and the Wolverines are, you know, supposedly on the same level as you and, and they are. And, but there becomes this expectation level. And so that just becomes fatiguing. And at times, maybe you want a new challenge, you know, and, you know, I had to deal with a health thing. I also found that one of the great things every coach dreams of is what Bob Stoops and what I did. And that you build a team up so it's a great team. You build an infrastructure. I think Ohio State's got the best, I'm biased, the best infrastructure in college football. And you find the right successor. And I was going to maybe go a few more years, but I found the right guy. Uh, at the right time and you know the horrible thing is if you leave and people get fired and they lose their jobs and all people you love and they did a great job so uh, Ryan has done a phenomenal that that's why you have to answer your question that's why you just you know a new challenge and yeah. uh, sustaining excellence is you know something that at times isn't a lot of fun Last couple of questions for you Urban Meyer did Justin Fields make people in the pro game at least question who should be the first pick in the draft or the first quarterback picked in the draft with his performance against Clemson? Absolutely. I, I think especially his toughness, uh, his leadership is, you know, I, I think his story is incredible. You know, the way they're playing football because of Justin Fields. Yeah, Everyone forgets right. that. You're right. Everyone forgets his family and the families at Ohio State, they are playing not because commissioners and ADs and uh, assistant ADs and it's because a coach a group of players and their families said we refuse to accept the fact we're not playing. We, a matter of fact, we're going to approach all, all respectfully. And Justin Field is right out. I, I was so proud of that kid. Uh, his leadership and toughness. He gets hit right in the back uh, during a game. Oh and, boy, and he get hit. I was the head coach. I refuse to come out of this game. I mean, he his value. I can't imagine it's any higher right now. Alabama v Ohio State Monday night. How do you see it? I see a high scoring. Uh, I've watched a bunch of film already on both. I think Ohio State can move the ball, and I think Alabama's going to move the ball. It's going to come down to defensive stops. Um, you know, I would always say that when you face teams like that, you get four to five. I would always write down on my little game plan sheet the way to win the game is you get four or five stops. And I mean stops. That right. means a turnover or a punt. You get the ball back, not field goal. But if you get four to five stops, and I'm going to actually during the game, I. I just because I've been there for so long, I write keep a little note. There's one stop, and Florida could have beat Alabama. They had three stops that uh, didn't count because 15 are penalties, and then the, uh, they intercepted the ball, and then they got it right back. So Ohio State, whoever stops the team four to five times will win that game. Final question: You, you, you know, you look back on uh, you know, and, and your family. You're, you're very, very close with your family. Uh, you're a grandfather now. Um, How's life changed being a grandfather? Oh, God knew what he was doing when he uh, had grandkids. <laughs> I mean, it is. I always heard how cool it is, and uh, my to see Shelly and around those kids, and you know, uh, you never thought you could love anything more than your own children. But my gosh, uh, I have two, a four and a two year old grandsons, and they're all boys. They they break everything and they beat each other up all day long. <laughs> the coolest thing to watch. Well. 
Coach Meyer, I, you know, look, for everybody who's been uh, either a friend or certainly so many millions of fans out there, um, you know, what your future holds uh, remains to be seen. Good Lord willing, it's exactly what you want to do, and it all works out the way you want it to work out. Thank you for your time today, and uh, and all the best. And, and look, I'm not going to be hesitant to say go Buckeyes on Monday night. Well, you're a good friend, and uh, uh, we thank the world of you, Tom. All the best. Urban, be well. Take care, man. Urban Meyer, kind enough to join us on Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.